you know, worship, we must have sang that word 20 times in that song. And it, typically, that's a word you hear in church, but not outside of it, except worship is everywhere. In the context of what we're doing today, it means to um, assign worth to God. That's the root of the word. But everybody worships because we assign worth to all kinds of things. I um, I was in Detroit this week. That's where I was born. I'm from Detroit originally. Um, and there was a concert in Detroit, Taylor Swift, who, by the way, lives about four or five blocks from here, her apartment, Taylor Swift. Uh, I've never met her, but she lives close by. But she was in Detroit, and she sold out the concert twice, Friday and Saturday, Ford Field, which is where the Lions play. The concert um, attendance, when they can fill the field, 65,000 people. So 130,000 people came to hear Taylor Swift. And I was there on Thursday, and there was a traffic jam near Ford Field Thursday. The concert's not until Friday, where they brought in a big truck to sell Taylor Swift stuff, sweatshirts, hats. At 6 a.m., there were 1,000 people in line to get that stuff. And then I heard an interview on Saturday from someone who was at the concert night before. And he said, yeah, it was a guy. He said, you know, I'm not a Taylor Swift person. I got dragged there by a bunch of women in my life. So they got to go hear Taylor Swift. He goes, but I have to tell you. And he started talking about it. And then he said, I got choked up. He said, I, I'm quoting now. It was a religious experience. Mm. So we worship. Everybody worships. So it, thank you for leading us to, to God, to the beauty of who God is. And really what's so magnificent about God if we know him, is that he loves us in all of our brokenness. I am um, a good person and a messed up person. I have good, I have bad. My whole life, that's way it's. I've been that way. I will always be that way. Hopefully I'm growing to look more like God wants me to look. But the, the thing I've learned over my 67 years now is that God is constant in his care for me, his love for me through all the ups and downs of my life. And that is worthy of worshiping. So, all right, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, which is what they call Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In the New Testament, it's where Jesus gave uh, a long discourse. And I have to tell you right now, I've never liked the word sermon. And the reason is because I grew up in churches where God was more angry than loving. In fact, you know, here's what I got to do. I got to grab this thing here. Pull this out here. And by the way, I'm sorry, I just messed up somebody's stuff. Here, I'll take care of it for you. Um, but it was, the pulpit was... 10 times bigger than this. And the Bible was about this big and it was black. And the guy was like, you know, pounding his fist and pointing his finger and talking about, you know, how much God wants us to act this way and not that way. And there's anger and there's threat of punishment and fear. It was all that. So when I hear sermon, that's what I still think of. But so I would like to start a new movement that we start calling this the teachings of Jesus or the, 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 the message of Jesus. And, and if you think about if the story is true, and I say that a lot because, first of all, some of you, you know, you're not sure where you are, or maybe you're sure where you are in your faith journey. You're not sure about Jesus, his claim to be God. Um, but if it was true, so just for a moment, if you're kind of in that spectrum of not sure, you got some doubt, if it was really true, and then he gets up and talks to human beings for a couple hours or an hour, whatever it took him to do, but don't worry, I'm not going to go that long. Um, but but wouldn't you think that this could be almost the most important thing we could hear. And I've come to believe that these three chapters, that's also in Luke, uh, two, two different uh, recorders of Jesus' life recorded the, um, wrote down the Sermon on the Mount. They're pretty much the same. Um, that this is like really important stuff. Like you could almost, if you got nothing else from the Bible, but just this, this is God saying to Ron, to Chris, to me, 
to Vivian, to, to each of you, this is what really matters. And so we are taking some months to say, this is what really matters. And we're jumping around. We're not following it in order necessarily. So today um, we're going to go into one section. And uh, Chris sent me an excerpt from a book that she was reading this week uh, by Carolyn Custis James. It's called Maelstrom. Maelstrom. And it, he, she was quoting somebody else and said this, that the Sermon on the Mount is simply Jesus describing the kind of man or woman that he wants to help him build his kingdom. This is what we will look like. So it's like holding up a mirror when I read it saying, oh, do I look like that? Do I love my enemies? Do I do to others as the way I would have them do unto me? These are all from the Sermon on the Mount. Do I forgive? Am I kind? Do I let my light shine? All these things in this beautiful message of Jesus. So we're just taking little bits here and there th throughout the summer. So today um, we're going to just look at a few verses. This is from Matthew 7. Uh, but I want to begin with a story. Uh, Jesus taught mostly in stories, but this is my this is a story of my life I just want to share with you. So this happened about, I think about eight years ago or nine years ago. Um, I was walking through, let me turn this on. I was walking through Soho. That's not too far from here. I got off the subway. Uh, I was in a hurry. If you know me, I'm always in a hurry. I'm always, I hate to be late. I always want to be on time. I'm walking fast. I'm going to get there. By the way, I wear this bracelet every day. It says, uh, now here or nowhere. It's a reminder to be present because I'm either now here or I'm nowhere. We're not here. We're nowhere. We're somewhere else. So I'm trying to be aware of what's going on, aware of people. By the way, Sharon got a, a good news we should celebrate. She got transitional housing this week, so she's out of the shelter. We happy about that. So see? See, I looked at you and I'm now here instead of nowhere. I remember that. So um, so I got off the subway. I can't remember where I was going, but I was in a hurry. And when you're in a hurry, people are in your way. That's how you tend to think. Oh, would you get out of my way? And there was someone walking really slow in the sidewalk. So I, I blew by this guy. And as I went by him, I did notice, first of all, he had a cane. And it was a cane that's red and white, which means what? Was he legally blind? So I could tell he wasn't like he couldn't see anything, but he was struggling and he was tapping his cane and he was looking really confused. He was looking around on a busy street like that. So I blow by him and then the still voice of God says, that man needs some help. Just heard that like in my head. You could, you know, it didn't take a genius. Maybe it didn't even take God. You could tell he needed help, but I got some place to be. I got some place to go. I got to be in a hurry to get there. I don't want to be late. If I help him, I'm going to be late. So I kept walking until it's just the weight of that. Oh, so I turned back. And he had made about five steps by then. And I said, hey, do you, do you need some help? And he looked at me, this distressed look in his face. And he said, I'm, I have a doctor's appointment and I'm, I'm lost. I don't know where I am now. I, do, I go here all the time, but I got confused. And I'm not sure where I am. Do you know where I am? So I looked, I said, you're at Green Street and whatever. Do you, have, do you know where it is? He goes, yeah. And he gave me the address. So I first part of me thought, well, I'm going to say, well, just turn right and go there and get there. And it's like, no, that's not right. So I, I took his arm. So why don't we let you get you there? So I walked him a couple blocks. Now I'm going to be really late to wherever I'm supposed to be. And I walked him there and I went inside the door and there was a receptionist and checked him in and he went to his doctor's appointment and I walked away. Now that's not the point of the story. Here's the point of the story. I walked away feeling really good about myself. Like, man, I'm the man. God must be really happy right now because that was the right thing to do. And I made a sacrifice for him. And then here's where it gets worse. I want to tell people about it, like I just did you right now. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you for a different reason. 
So as I'm all day busting to figure out who I can tell about it, then I'm hearing the voice saying, no, you don't need to tell anybody that. Because was that about you, Craig? Was that your, is that you want it? And then I realized, oh, that's my ego, man. That's my pride. I want people to revere me or think about me in a certain way, especially, you know, I'm a pastor and I work in ministry. And, and it was, it became this enormous, almost like a monster inside of me that I was wrestling with saying, you got to tell somebody. And then it's like, no, I'm not going to tell anybody. You know, I'm not supposed to tell anybody. I'm just going to, I did a good deed. I did it because I love God and God is the one that told me to do it. So he's the one that matters. You don't matter. And I just couldn't let it go. Like I did, I thought it was such a cool thing because it's not my normal nature. I'm always in a hurry. So I actually, Hey, I'm learning. I'm growing. I actually help somebody. So, and I didn't realize this for a while, but what I ended up doing, cause I was writing a blog back then is I decided to write the story in a blog and post it. So, and, and I'm doing it to encourage other people to slow down and help. It's like baloney. I look back at that. That was a way for me to tell everybody to do it. So it was ego, it was pride. Now I tell you this story because this is what we're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount today. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 1. He said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will not have, you'll have no reward from your father in heaven. No, I don't want to focus so much on what he means by no reward. Uh, but because I think the blessing of God comes when we just do goodness for goodness sake and, uh, and because we're practicing the love of God and he, the whole story of God, the whole story of the incarnation is God coming when we didn't deserve it, but he loved us and he just came. And so he's basically saying, when you do something good, like I did, helping this guy, this legally blind man get to his appointment, um, let it just be that. Don't do it in front of people to get their praise, but do it for God. That's what Jesus taught us. And as I said, this is a story of Jesus from the beginning to the end, the whole story of the incarnation and how he lived and what he did, is he was serving people, um, just serving people, just loving on people, and he invites us to walk in that. Think about the manner in which God came into the world. If you know the story, he came as a baby, announced to shepherds, not kings and lawyers and big shots, came to the poor, lowly shepherds out in the field, and they, they got to hear the word. And then they went to the, you know, the stable in Bethlehem and saw the one that had been born. It wasn't the rich and famous. When he went and picked his disciples, you may not know this story. How many, how many disciples did he have? He had 12. Actually, they, they were called apostles. He had, turns out he had many more disciples, but 12 of them got to be apostles, and they were the closest to Jesus. You know, do you know what they were uh, professionally before they became disciples? They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. Some of them were notorious people. He didn't go and say, let me let me go to Princeton and Harvard and get the smartest and the best and the brightest. And actually, most of them, as, as fairly young men, um, had been passed over by the rabbis to be trained. So Jesus picked them. I mean, all of this story tells us that it's not about the big shots and, and the big thing and the big lights and the bright lights, but it's about humility and just just you know following God. And it's funny, I'd like to say since that, that event where I, I wanted to brag about the good thing I had done, that wasn't the last time. I can even still feel it now. When I do something good and nobody knows, I, there's this itch inside of me to want to tell somebody. Which means it's about me. I'm making life about me. You know, it's interesting. Even uh, when Jesus began to perform miracles, um, he would heal people. You know, his first miracle was he turned water into wine at a wedding. Um, miracles. He healed lepers. He healed blind. He straightened legs and, and withered hands. I could use a miracle right now. You know, when he did all of that, um, it began to attract a crowd, which Jesus didn't want. 
he would go away from the crowds. And in fact, one time his brothers came to him and they, they said to Jesus, leave Galilee. Galilee is northern Israel. Chris and I were there in, in uh, November and it's more country. It's not urban. Lots of animals. Um, so he was doing a lot of his work. Most What was it, Chris? Two-thirds of his time was spent in Galilee, I think. 70%. And Judea in the south is where Jerusalem was. That's the urban. That's where all the people were. That's where the priests were, the big temple. So his brothers come to him and say, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. And then look at this sentence, most important sentence here for today. No one wants to be who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. So what did their, what does his brothers want him to become? A public figure that everybody could see. So let's let's make sure everybody can see what you could do. He says, since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And that's what my ego is saying. When I helped this man in Soho, this legally blind man, get to his doc's appointment, I'm saying, I think I need to show myself to the world right now to see what an awesome person I am, how great I am. But Jesus um, often did the opposite. By the way, I found this statistic on, on the internet this week. Um, uh, because we want to become public figures. That's in human nature. Do you know what, what percentage of people believe that they're going to be famous? 30 to 40% of people living right now, and they're mostly younger, believe someday they're going to be famous. Now, based on a definition of famous, which I won't share with you today, but it's it's there's some the formula or criteria for what it means to be famous. Um, this is how many will become famous. Look at this percentage. 0.00086. That's not 1%, it's not a half percent, it's not a quarter of a percent, it's 0.00086% of people will ever become famous. But that's what we want. So even in a small level, when we do something good or pretty amazing, there, there's a part of us that just wants people to notice us. We, we can become very attention-seeking. And to think that even Jesus, God, the manner in which he came was not attention-seeking. I'm always struck now by the thought that Jesus was 30 years old when he went public. What did he do for 30 years? This is God in the neighborhood. Literally, God living in the neighborhood, fixing stuff with his hands, being a good neighbor, sitting around the campfire with people. And he never said, hey, I want to start a little rumor. I'm actually God. You know, and it would start spreading. You know, imagine the the the, the restraint that was there to not say that I have to be a big deal. So if that's God's manner, what should our manner be? It's really, really very humbling to think about that. And by the way, I believe when Jesus did all these amazing things like healing people, it was motivated by compassion, nothing else. He didn't do it to say, wait, we got the TV cameras going? Where's the New York Times? Is there a reporter here? Because I want to make sure when I multiply the bread that the word gets out of this amazing thing that I did. But the word got out and the crowds made it hard for him to move. He he often actually said, in fact, uh, this is where he healed, uh, I believe he healed a leper. And he said to this man he healed, he said, see that you don't tell anyone. I'd like to go back to my little Soho story. And I bring the guy in, you know, uh, and he says, thank you very much. What's your name? My name doesn't matter. Oh, I want to, no, please, I'm, I'm begging you, don't tell anyone. No, I want to go tell everybody. It's so, it's so different than the way that Jesus demonstrated in terms of how to live our lives. He says, go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded. In other words, you're free now as a leper. Show that you're cleansed. Now you can go back into society. You can resume work. You can be with your family. That's all I care about. Don't go tell anybody this because it's not about that. 
So this is the first part of what I want to share with you today is that Jesus in the sermon, in the message on the Mount, that's what we should call it. It's got good alliteration. Message on the Mount instead of Sermon on the Mount. Okay, I'm going to start a movement and someday you'll say to everybody, Craig did this because it's all about me. See? (laughs) (laughs) The message on the Mount. So the first part of this is, and we're going to see now, he's going to reinforce it um, in the verses that follow. Just a couple more verses here. Um, What he does now is he gives us an example. So when you're doing something good like this, so here's what he says. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is in secret will reward you. So um, the example here is giving to the needies. I'm going to come back to a little bit more of that. So he says, so when you give to the poor, when you give to the needy, notice that it says not if and when, he says when you do. This is not really the focus of the message today, but I, I want to just say that um, part of following Jesus, part of the message on the Mount that's really central is we are aware of those in need and we give. We just give. We're called to give. It doesn't matter how we think about that or feel about that. We are called to give. If we're going to be like him, we are called to be those that give. And by the way, I if, if I wanted to do a message that was two or three hours long, I could show you hundreds and hundreds of passages in the Bible that talk about caring for the poor. It's not like an optional thing or if you get around to it or if it occurs to you, it's so central to the heart of God, which I want to tell you that all of you in this room that are poor right now, you put yourself in that category, God sees you. You know how he wants to help you? I have not yet once had a $100 bill dropped from heaven but I've had it handed to me at times when I was struggling. There were times when Chris and I were first married that our furnace broke. We had no heat. We lived in Michigan. It was cold. Car broke down. We couldn't get it fixed. God, please help us. He didn't drop money from heaven. It was someone that he moved in their heart to say, here, let us help you. Let us help you. That's how God cares for the needy is through us. So it's not marginal thing. This is absolutely central. Now, realizing when I prepared this message that I'm talking to people that don't have much right now, What does this mean for you? And and this is what I would say. I love the story where Jesus multiplied the bread. We always focus on how he took five loaves and a couple of fish and fed thousands. But I like to think about the the guy there or the woman there that had the five loaves and two fish. They brought their meal for their family. And Jesus said, would you give it to me? Let me see what I can do with it. And that, that was a moment of faith where this person released the little bit that they had that the inclination would be to hold on to it for myself because I need this for me. Two stories in the, in the Gospels where Jesus multiplied a little and took care of a lot, but it required the release of that person to give up what they had. It's the same story if you've heard the widow's might where Jesus watched people giving money at the temple and some people came in and gave a lot of money and made sure everybody knew it. Their name was probably Craig Mays. Uh, and then the, the widow's might, she had only one coin and she gave everything she had. And Jesus said, she's, she's more generous than anybody else because she gave out of her lack. So um, I would say, you know, Chris asked how many of you were, this is your first time. So we have a history here also with the mission. I was on staff here for, for many years um, at the mission and I saw amazing things. I remember out in the sidewalk right in front, I knew I knew some of the men that we had a resident program here for a while that was addiction recovery. And there was there was a guy there 
nobody had money. And there was a guy that had to go to an appointment to see his doctor and he had no money. He had no subway pass. And this other guy back then, $5 would get you a round trip. Now you need five fifty. but he pulled out, he looked in his wallet and he had a $5 bill and he didn't know I was watching. He gave the $5 bill to his friend that he met here to get up to his appointment. I saw stuff like that over and over again. I actually think the poor people I've been around, the poorer people have been more generous than the people with a lot. I've just seen, maybe it's out of empathy. You know, when you lack yourself, if you have a little bit to help someone in that moment, you do. So it doesn't require you to be rich, to be generous. In the moment to respond to how God might be prompting you. Um, I have a story, a quick story from, um, from Corinthians, um, this is from the book of Corinthians, um, and Paul is talking about the Macedonians. That was a city in what's now Greece or a, a province. And Paul was taking up a collection for the poor as he went through all of Asia Minor at that time. It's recording the book of Acts. And he's telling the story of these, this group called the Macedonians. So consider this. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial of the Macedonians, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. I like to picture that Paul saying, you guys don't have anything, so you're off. Don't worry about it. You guys you guys need as much as anybody else, so please know. And they are urgently pleading, let us help. Let us help. Please let us help. Please let us give. And he, he gave more than they could possibly have expected. And I love how he concludes this. He says, they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. Generosity starts with giving ourselves to God. If we give ourselves to God, then we're giving everything we are, then what we have is actually his, and it's easy to release it. When we when we think it's our stuff, we hold on to it. When we realize that everything we have is his, it's easy to open your hands and release it when he wants you to. And that's what he the Macedonians were experiencing is that they they wanted to give and they wanted to be a part of this. All right, so let's just go back now. There's um. I'm going to go back just for a moment to this the, the longer passage here. So when you give, uh, don't announce it with trumpets. Can you imagine if after I as I was helping the man walk down the sidewalk, I pulled up my trumpet and started playing something so everybody look at me. Jesus is using exaggeration here, and I think he's being a little bit funny. Like, picture that. Oh, there, you know, go back to that woman that had the little picture I had of the cup out. And first of all, I look to see if anybody's, you know, watching. And then if or not, I get my trumpet out and start playing, you know, gather a crowd. And then I go put my $5 bill in her cup or my 25 cents in her cup, right? So he's saying this, but then to me, it gets even funnier. It gets even funnier. He says, um, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Like, actually try to picture that. This is how secret he wants us to be about the good that we do. So my right hand is out here doing something. The left hand comes around to try to watch, and then he goes and hides. You know, my hands won't let each other know what they're doing. Just picture this. I was picturing this on the train this morning as I was thinking about this message, and I, I just was having fun in my brain with Jesus using this expression. Don't let your be so secret in your good, the good deeds that you do out of your love for God as he calls you, is don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Make it that secret. There's nothing more secret than that. Oh, the left hand comes to see. Oh, I'm going to go back here. As soon as the left hand goes away, he goes out, starts helping again. He starts to pick up, oh, go back here. Isn't this stupid? Think about that. But that's what he's saying. Be that secretive in terms of um, 
doing the good that God would call you to do. One last example. He says, when you pray, this is in the same passage we're looking at today. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be what? Seen by others. See, it's focuses on me. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Not praying in a crowd to be seen. It's a private matter to pray. So I would say it's not just prayer, but all the ways, uh, public ways that we express our love for God and stuff, we can do it with a bullhorn, drawing attention to ourselves. You know, the religious leaders of the day wore all the garb so that, you know, when you're in the marketplace, here's everybody looks the same like we all do in here. And suddenly someone walks in with the big robes and the big hats and the big flowing everything. And it's like, oh, here's a godly person. He says, don't do that. If you're real in your faith for God, it's going to be evidenced in how you live, but it's flowing out of something inside of you. It's not doing it to get the praise of men. So I, I think, um, like, what's the, what's the application for us? You know, my my writing my blog about what I did in Soho was blowing my trumpet. It's to follow this teaching from the message on the mount. To say, God, what do you want me to do? I'm going to do it faithfully, whether anyone sees it or not. Sometimes people are going to see what you're doing. That's, that's not wrong. It's wrong if that's what you're after, if that's what matters. And one of the ways you know it is, is, is I've learned, is when I do something good and no one knows, I want to tell people. Then I've got some work to do. Jesus, help me. Help me to just follow you, live the life that you lived, not for the attention and praise of others, but just out of my surrender to you because like the macedonians they they gave themselves themselves first to god and then everything they had went along with it and they gave out of that so um you've heard this phrase before this is the thing i want to stick with you this week because you might not remember hardly anything i said but live for an audience of one you know taylor swift had an audience of one hundred thirty thousand. Nothing wrong. I'm not putting her down. She's got a great talent and people respond to talent. And I'm sure a lot of people got a lot of joy out of that. But when it comes to how we live our lives day in and day out, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, the only opinion that matters about you is the one who made you, the one who loved you, who gave his life for you, says, follow me. And that's who we're living for. So all that we do, he's the audience that we care about. He's the applause that we want. He's He's the one who we want to worship. And it's going to be mostly our lives are mostly going to be lived in quiet, um, private obedience and submission to him. So God, Jesus, thank you for this message. It's challenging. I know it is for me. I still know that I have an ego that will never go away. It just lurks beneath the surface and wants to draw attention to me. Um, and I know um, we all struggle with that. So encourage us to follow your example to follow your teaching. And uh, thank you now that um, we can lift our hearts and voices to you again. Thank you for Chris and his leadership here in worship and just bless us last moments together in your name. Amen.